Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 273 of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another interview episode where I track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that I can share their secrets with you. This time around, I'm joined by Robbie Haynes, creator of Apolog Liqueurs and now host Cocktails. In our last conversation, he walked us through the ins and outs of old-fashioned mixology with his acclaimed luxury bottled gold-fashioned. And in this chat, we fix our sights on another drink from the Mount Rushmore of cocktails, the Martini. But before we start debating vermouth ratios and stuffing our faces with olives from the garnish tray, let's take a brief pause so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Kangaroo Cocktail, also known as the Kangaroo Kicker. To make it, you'll need one and a half or two ounces of vodka and three quarters of an ounce or one ounce of dry vermouth. Essentially, as long as it's a two to one ratio, you be the judge of how tall you want the drink to be. Combine these two ingredients in a mixing glass with ice, with bitters notably absent. Stir until well chilled and properly diluted, then strain into a chilled stemmed cocktail glass Garnish with a lemon twist, or an odd number of olives if you're into that kind of thing, and enjoy. Today's vodka martini is, in reality, the artist formerly known as the Kangaroo Cocktail. Depending on who you ask, references to it started cropping up in the late 1930s, and it was formally introduced in print in 1943 by Oscar Haimo in his book Cocktail Digest, and by Crosby Gage in his 1944 Standard Cocktail Guide. As most of you will know, this is kind of at the height of the U.S. involvement in World War II, and many believe that the Kangaroo Cocktail was named in honor of our Australian allies. The choice of vodka in place of gin is further attributed to an impending gin shortage, but I had a hard time tracking down any definitive sources online that could corroborate that, so that might be hearsay. Suffice it to say, at the end of World War II, there were probably a lot of shortages, and vodka is pretty easy to make. You can make it out of anything, so perhaps it's not necessary to delve too deeply or greedily on that particular question. Just a few short years later, in 1948, David Embury released his hugely important book, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, where he called this cocktail the Vodka Martini, thus signaling the end of the Kangaroo Kicker's brief time in the spotlight. Whatever your personal thoughts happen to be regarding the admixture of vodka and vermouth, I hope that the next time you enjoy a kangaroo cocktail, you'll raise a glass toward Australia and maybe run a quick stock market search on the status of juniper futures just to make sure we're not headed for another gin shortage. So, now that you know far more than is necessary about the vodka martini, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this stirring, ice-cold conversation with bartender and cocktail batcher extraordinaire Robbie Haynes, some of the topics we discuss include what people mean when they say martini, and why certain preferences and aversions pertaining to its construction may stem from unresolved fears and myths about ingredients. How Robbie teamed up with distillers, winemakers, and cocktail experts to weave a flavor tapestry worthy of sitting on the shelf next to the legendary gold-fashioned. 
what flavor research and development looks like in the gin space, specifically when it comes to nerdy stuff like botanical maceration, gin basket ergonomics, and ethanol proof points. Then, of course, we taste the host martini, and Robbie shares recommendations about freezer settings and over-ice service that take this cocktail to the next level. Martinis in hand, we wrap the conversation by examining some of the softer nuances of martini service, like why cocktail bars are super-controlled environments, why hosting a cocktail party can be so unpredictable, and the benevolent tension between host and guest that creates a true hospitality interaction. Along the way, we get into the latest updates on this year's batch of the gold-fashioned, play a rousing game of Kill Mary Fornicate with iconic martini trifectas, ponder the mysterious vermouth tipping point, and much, much more. You can learn more about the gold-fashioned and the new bottled martini at hostcocktails.com. That's spelled H-O-S-T-E cocktails.com. And you can check out my last interview with Robbie in episode 243. But for now, please enjoy this perfectly balanced yet botanically complex conversation with the one and only Robbie Haynes. Robbie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. Nice to see you, man. Yeah, same here, same here. So last time we spoke, we were talking about uh, a kind of a fun little project, the uh, the Sunday's Finest Gold Fashioned, um, which has garnered a lot of attention and press over the last uh, year or so. But uh, before we talk about the latest project and start digging into the art of the martini, could you please just reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Who are you? What do you do? Yep. Um, Robert Haynes, Robbie Haynes, um, co-founder of Host Cocktails and, um, you know, b- before Host, also Apologue Liqueurs and before that, uh, a bartender for many, many, many years. And um, yeah, excited to be talking about kind of the gold fashion rebrand and the launch of Host Cocktails. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to take us immediately to first principles here. Um, we're going to talk all about the product details and, and what it means to do a rebrand and what host means. But before we do any of that, uh, I want to ask you what might seem to some sort of an obvious or slightly, you know, kind of uh, dumb question, but what is a martini? Mm. My, okay. So depends on who you ask and where my, uh, understanding of a martini is it's gin, the historically gin, vermouth, orange bitters, stirred lemon twist served, you know, in a, in a great cocktail bar historically served up. Now I appreciate all the different forms of martinis. I don't recognize, you know, maybe some of the stuff that was coming out in the nineties, you know, chocolate martinis, apple teenies, you know, those to me are like just kind of bastardized cocktails. Um, but a true martini for me is gin, vermouth, um, and, and, and bitters. Excellent. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you polled, uh, the vast majority of, um, you know, cocktail fans that you're going to get wide consensus on the gin, wide consensus on some vermouth. Although I, I would, I would say weirdly, 
the vermouth is like the most controversial ingredient in in a certain respect. Uh, orange bitters, not too controversial. The twist, really the only controversy there is whether we're expressing and discarding or we're going to leave in the martini. Um, and then the up thing, I don't think that's controversial really, except I do. I don't know if you appreciate, but I appreciate a, a martini on the rocks every now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I, th- I kind of like preface that with like in a cocktail bar, like when in a super controlled environment where someone is like going to drink that cocktail right then. Um, I do think, you know, people are people are particular about martinis in a way that they are really like not with other cocktails. And, you know, when you get into the vermouth, you know, some people like to quip and say like you wave the vermouth over the glass or like, <laughs> you know, you throw the vermouth in the trash can and uh call it a day um you know to each their own but for me a martini is not just cold gin yeah i I would tend to agree and you know it's 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 hard to say if it's apocryphal because so much of like the the whole winston churchill kind of like mystique is potentially overblown i mean that was his brand was being big and, and overblown so it makes sense why people would say oh yeah i take the the churchill approach and just you know you know raise the glass in the direction of france and <laughs> i mean what do you think do you think that that is potentially derived from people not refrigerating their vermouth for decades and decades. Uh, where do you think that, where do you think the, the penchant or the, the popularity of the bone dry martini comes from? Yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts, some maybe more controversial. One, I think it's just a lack of, uh, not maybe a lack of knowledge and a lack of willingness to admit that like you might not know what something is. Um, I noticed this particularly in older males who were like, ah, no, you know, like staunchly no vermouth because they're possibly scared to try new things. So I think that's it. You know, possibly you probably have a good point with like, you know, maybe vermouth was not refrigerated or taken care of. And if you've got, you know, someone's making a martini at home and their vermouth has been in the back of their cupboard for 40 years. um, Yeah, it's probably not going to add much to the cocktail, but a fresh bottle of vermouth, you know, really adds a whole other layer to the cocktail. And I do think there's, you know, there's a variance into like how much vermouth is appropriate. Um, And I think there's along that spectrum, I think there are a couple of different iterations of the martini that are delicious and you can get into some that are more vermouth heavy and some that are have just a little bit. Um, but the vermouth is crucial. If you, if you're not doing the vermouth, you, you know, you're either scared to try new things. It maybe had a bad experience, but I don't know how you could have a, a more worse experience than just drinking a glass of gin. So yeah, I don't know. People are, people are kind of slow to slow to adopt things that they're, that they're scared of. Well, I, I like that both of those instances kind of involve some sort of fear, right? Fear of trying something new or fear of having a repeat bad experience. In in both cases, you're afraid of something. And I think that, you know, obviously, you know, reflecting on our past conversation, you as a experienced bartender fully understand the role of the bartender in working with somebody 
to kind of maybe overcome those fears, maybe taking some baby steps, maybe, you know, customizing your approach to that person so that, you know, they can get around or get over or under that fear somehow. But I like this. I like that we got to some of these little inflection points in our conversation about the martini, because I think when we go back to host and the brand and what you're trying to do with that, maybe some of this is going to come crawling back out of the woodwork again. But let's get into the brass tacks of this. You launched the Sunday's Finest Gold Fashion, so I'm going to have you start by kind of reminding people about what that product is, was, is now kind of evolving into as you're rebranding to host, and then also maybe what prompted you to launch a a martini to kind of go hand-in-hand with that cocktail. Yep. Um, So in 2021, we launched the Gold Fashion, which is a cocktail, under the Sunday's Finest label. And we were dipping our toes in the water, so to speak. You know, background being hospitality and apologue liqueurs, our previous and still ongoing venture being focused pretty squarely on-premise bars and restaurants. We knew we wanted to do something that folks could enjoy at home. And, you know, there's a lot of competition on the the lower tiers or more economical, fast grab-and-go rungs of the ready-to-enjoy ladder. There's a lot of big players, big brands with um, a lot of money in that space. And so it's really hard to compete on price. And I don't think that's something that we were, you know, interested in doing, we looked in the mirror and said, like, what can we do and do well that we feel good about that we think folks would be interested in? And we said, okay, let's let's go to the other end of the spectrum and let's just take, let's say, what is the absolute best possible cocktail experience that we can deliver to folks um, in their home? And let's use the best possible spirits that we can source um, or make in the case of the martini great ingredients in the bitters and let's package it beautifully. And then to further kind of differentiate, like a great cocktail engages all the senses. In the case of the martini, it's like your lemon zest, old fashioned is your orange zest. And, you know, that seemed like something that was really missing from the ready to enjoy segment. And so we packaged every Gold fashion in a in a beautiful gift box, and it comes came with an orange zest atomizer with blood orange, Valencia navel orange, and the idea was to kind of take the the experience of going to a great cocktail bar, which is you know multifaceted and sensory. You know, it starts when you pull into the neighborhood and park the car and walk up to the door and open up and go down the hallway and open the curtains and go inside, sit down at the table, you're touching the menu, um, all these little like touch points that create this overall impression of an experience um, that sticks with you. And what, how can we translate that to something that, you know, someone can take to their friend or family members home for a gathering. And so, you know, for us, the, the packaging itself, you know, is kind of where it starts Um, and working our way inwards to the, cocktail just like you would at a bar um, to create a, uh, a bit of a narrative there and, and give people something that's, you know, could, can be a high point of the night and um, something that, you know, a, a cocktail that they can kind of celebrate at home. Yeah. Well, I, I love that your impulse was, uh, you know, to, to borrow and 
perhaps misuse a, uh, a cliche when, when they go low, you go high, right? Because you're right. I, I mean, I think what happened in, we, we, we all saw it in 2020 with, with, um, with COVID, with the, the boom of RTDs of all sorts, right? There was the canned stuff that was already kind of getting popular with the hard seltzers and stuff like that. And then every bar started launching them and you know so many states and jurisdictions passed legislation that allowed them and so it just seemed like there was just a race to the bottom price wise and it makes a lot of sense to just <laughs> look at that and say no gracias like let's let's see what else we can do let's see what other like you said rungs on this ladder we can address and we can do it in a good way um so tell us a, a little bit about the I guess the construction methods and, you know, I guess like the, the blending, et cetera, that make the uh, gold fashioned popular and so delicious. And then maybe we can start talking about how you then said, all right, we're doing this gold fashioned. How do we then try and replicate this specialness in a completely mm -hmm. different cocktail format? Yep. So, you know, gold fashioned um, for us, was and is all about, you know, kind of showcasing really great vintage spirits. And just due to the kind of the, the limited nature of those ingredients, you know, every year we've done a different vintage spirits-based blend. It is a like limited annual offering. So we've done between three and 5,000 bottles each year. And the, the production method is, you know, it is a little more involved, but not totally dissimilar from making a cocktail. Um, you know, we're sourcing for the gold fashion, we're sourcing barrels of whiskey um, at barrel proof, tasting them, blending them. To, you know, we're doing a split base bourbon and rye to get kind of the best of both worlds there. And then, so basically, we are making our own vintage whiskey blend. And then separately, we make a large batch of really special bitters, you know, using world's most exquisite spices, saffron, Tahitian vanilla, Ecuadorian cacao, gentian, Seville orange pill. And then we make a giant batch of Demerara. And then we make a massive old fashioned. And just like if I was making a cocktail for of, of someone at the bar, taste it and, you know, internalize it, think about it and adjust it. You know, really trying to find that little window where everything kind of pops and you get kind of the the cocktail runs up the palate and you kind of, you know, can taste everything. You don't lose the whiskey. So that's kind of where the magic happens, I think, is in that last, you know, little bit of adjustment. Instead of adding a, a dash of whiskey or a dash of bitters, you're adding buckets of whiskey or a, a bucket of bitters. I, I love that image because... Like as you're describing it, and I was like, okay, I can I can picture these guys doing this in in whatever you know facility you're using. But then I just imagine you standing at the edge of a giant mixing glass on a bar, and you're just a very tiny man with a, <laughs> with stirring a bar spoon with two hands. And uh, I I just I love it because it actually does scale with it with a stirred cocktail in that way. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly you know that's what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, I really enjoy it. The process is fun. Like it's it's high risk. I think when you're working with the case of this year's released ten year rye. And last year we had some fifteen year bourbon. You know, you can't 
mess it up, but you got to go out on a limb to get the fruit. And, uh, you know, I like, I like the pressure and I like, you know, tasting it and having to say, okay, cool. Like I, I genuinely think this needs a couple more gallons of whiskey. Let's do it. And Mm -hmm. there we go. But yeah, the gold fashion was great, man. And the, you know, like I said, the first two years, it was more, we had a thesis like, okay, if we make a really fantastic cocktail and package it beautifully, will people be into it? And it was, you know, priced significantly higher than kind of the competitive set. It was $150 a bottle, but the, you know, the, the feedback was resoundingly positive. Um, people ordering multiple bottles for themselves, giving it ex- gifts, um, some corporate gifting, things like that. And, you know, we said, okay, you know, there is a market here, just like there's a market for a really nice bottles of wine. Um, and, you know, the gold fashion in particular is probably not, might not be your Monday night after work drink. Maybe it is, but certainly if you're going to someone's home for a nice dinner or, you know, holiday gathering, or you want to give a gift to someone and have it mean something and want to do a cocktail, like the gold fashion is that, is that drink. Yeah, I'll, I'll share with you, uh, you know, we, we tasted a sample um, during our last interview and I'll share what we did with it. So I uh, did a, a guy's weekend with uh, some of my closest friends. We rented a cabin. We all, you know, went shopping and got some great food. We all cooked for each other. We sat around a fire right by a river and it was like we we brought that and shared that as, you know, kind of a way to add even more specialness to that experience. So I think, you know, anybody who wants to learn more about the gold fashion will link to that interview in the show notes page. We break down all the math and why it's actually a pretty, pretty reasonable deal. Uh, if you compare, you know, especially nowadays cocktail uh, price of uh, getting a, a old fashioned <laughs> out at a premium cocktail bar. Um, but now we've got a sibling for yep. the gold fashion and I got to imagine that the construction process for this, some similarities, still a stirred cocktail, a little bit drier, maybe some different ingredients. How did you go about constructing it? And um, maybe you can share some of the collaborations uh, that were involved in that process. Yep. Um, So, you know, I think it really all starts last year as, you know, we were doing Gold Fashion 2022 and we were kind of wrapping that up. Then we were like, I think we had say okay, we've had a couple of years. This has been great. Let's really go for this. What can we do better? We knew we wanted to extend the product line, but like you mentioned, like your story, which is beautiful, we talked to uh, dozens of people that had purchased the gold fashion just to better understand why they bought it, what they did with it, how do they feel about it? Because we we kind of felt like it was maybe serving. It was a, a kind of a higher order emotional need than your, your typical ready to pour cocktail. And the, a lot of stories were similar. It's like it was someone was having a, a weekend with friends um, and or had people coming over and they just they like to share the experience with folks. And we started to realize that like, OK, cool, like having a large format ready to pour cocktail that's, you know, someone trusts that's really good uh, and that they could pour for their friends and fam allows them to spend more time with each other and kind of make more meaningful connections. 
and the cocktail should be a like moment, um, but it does not. It's not like the purpose of the gathering, right? Like the purpose of the gathering is to spend time with folks and 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 connect on that level. So we went underwent like a major rebrand to host, and you know we're like if we're going to extend the product line, we need to do this now, and so uh, we'll get into. We can get into host in a minute, but I will talk about the yeah. martini. Um, so, you know, gold fashion, I think, you know, spoke pretty directly to my experience coming up bartending. Um, it was a drink that I was really into. Um, and we wanted to partner with someone to make another cocktail. Julia Momase has been a, you know, a, a friend and a, a um, a, a kind of beacon on the Chicago cocktail scene and probably now the national and international cocktail scene, really talented James Beard award winning author has bar Kumiko, just really dynamic person. And she has a kind of a unique, um, cocktail perspective. She's from Japan and we thought, you know, I bet she has a story to tell like in the form of a cocktail. And so we reached out to her and, you know, said, hey, we're thinking about doing another cocktail that's going to be available year round. What drink resonates with you and how can you put your unique thumbprint on it? Um, and she shared a beautiful story about her first martini um, and having it in Japan and said, OK, cool. I think we can start there. And we looked to her for botanicals for the gin. You know, she gave us a list. She said, cool, let's do something inspired by the seasons. And so we settled on uh, Sakura or a cherry blossom, uh, hojicha, which is a roasted green tea, red sancho, so like little peppercorn berries. Um, and uh, there's some kabosu, which is a Japanese citrus, and yuzu, uh, another Japanese citrus. Awesome. And, then, and then we started, you know, started making gin and a five-gallon tabletop pot still and must have made you know 20 batches i would just i would do one taste it think about it for a week go back make another one repeat 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 um and just you know for me i was getting familiar with how those botanicals work and you know trying to establish kind of a what i thought was a cool profile for the gen and once i had something that I felt good about, I would send it to her for, for feedback. Um, and so we kind of just kept pushing and pulling on the profile. And then once we got something that we really were feeling good about that was working well in a martini, um, we passed the gin off to Ari Clafter from Thornton Distilling Company, um, you know, uh, who could scale this tabletop recipe up to their, you know, giant copper still and, you know, really kind of refine it uh, and, and, and put a kind of like a, a sheen on it, if you will. In parallel, you know, the vermouth, you know, we wanted to work with someone stateside. I love a lot of the craft vermouths. However, they're and rightfully so, they're, they're all pretty like unique and have kind of, you know, less traditional flavor profiles, um, at least with, the, you know, I feel like with the ones in the States. And so tasting a lot, tasting a lot. And someone sent me a bottle 
from um, a, a producer named Little City Vermouth out of New York and a gentleman named Will, uh, Will Clark. And they sent me his sweet vermouth and his dry vermouth. And I tasted them and I was like, okay, these are, these are great. Like, this is like what I imagine, um, like a, a good, you know, domestic vermouth that is, you know, has one foot kind of rooted in traditional vermouth profiles. Um, but a, a, just a slightly different spin. It felt like in line with what we were doing with the gin. So we worked with Will to create a custom driver move for us that we thought would pair well with the gin. And, you know, those were kind of our, our big building blocks. And I would say the most intricate part of the process was really figuring out the right ratio of gin to vermouth. You know, there's a, there is a tipping point, right? Where like the vermouth kind of can start to push forward a little bit, at least for the type of martini that we wanted to create. And we worked and worked and worked that I'm talking about, like I would make, you know, several martinis and one would be start at extremes, two to one, two to 0.75, two to 0.65. Uh, anyway, the, 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 the ratio that we ended up landing on was about four to one, uh, which we felt, you know, given the nature of the gin, uh, it has more of like a restrained juniper component, uh, and you know, some of the softer floral things like, uh, cherry blossom. There's also some orange blossom in there. We wanted, didn't want those to get overshadowed. So that's where we landed on the, on the vermouth. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think four to one is the martini ratio that I first fell in love with. I don't know that it's where I currently stand, but it makes sense when you're describing the gin and the botanicals and uh, almost the the evocation of Japan, right? It's a slightly slightly more restrained, um, slightly slightly different cocktail culture than than the one we have here. Where we're drinking out of these giant, you know, V shaped martinis that can hold you know nine ounces of juice, right? Yeah, I like it. And I would certainly, you know, if, if you gave me a bottle of Beef Eater or Tangeray, and, and I like actually both those gins and martinis as well. Yeah. Um, but I would certainly, you know, if Beef Eater in particular, I, for some reason, I tend to prefer three to one. It's like what kind of does it for me. I feel like it's a assertive gin in a certain way. And so like sometimes I want a little more vermouth with something like that. Right, right. So we've got uh, the gin botanical bill that you worked on privately on a small scale still, like you said, pushing and pulling at the different levels. I just did like a week long gin course for distillers and it's it's precisely the way you described it. Sometimes you just like, you gotta just pull on some threads and see what happens. And it's almost a game at that point. So you scale that, you get your custom vermouth, um, what about the orange bitters or is there a stand in for the, that ingredient? Yep. So we, we kind of opted not to do orange bitters. Uh, mm -hmm. instead we incorporated some orange blossom, uh, orange flower blossom into the gin and, you know, we'll get into the, the there's a yuzu atomizer. So, you know, we wanted kind of the yuzu to shine. You've got some soft floral orange undertones from the orange blossom. You know, we played around with, bitters but it felt a little more elegant and sophisticated without them yep 
Yeah, I can totally see that. And depending on, you know, bitters are a, a tricky thing. I just, you know, I made them for seven years and sold them. Uh, and sometimes when you're working those into an RTD, you can also deal with some like strange interactions between um, like the botanicals. Sometimes it creates some sediment. Sometimes it's not perfectly clear. So I can see, you know, why you might just say, Hey, let's let the botanicals and the gin do some of this heavy lifting. But yeah. So any other details that you want to share with the, about the, uh, uh, I guess the formulation process and the collaboration process of the martini before I go grab a chilled glass from the freezer and we give it a taste. Yeah, I would say the only other thing that just came to mind, um, and this was something Ari was really helpful with. He has probably significantly more experience making, you know, commercial spirits than I do. And, you know, there were just some things that I had not thought about. And maybe these are things that you learned, like the the one, you know, once we started experimenting with like, okay, this is the the ABV of the alcohol that we're macerating the botanicals in. Um, that did have a tangible effect on how it came out on the other side. And also the proof at which it went into the still would affect it too. And, you know, we started on one end of the spectrum and I think we ended up macerating, um, this is like for the nerds out there, but for me also, we, we found that we, if we macerated it at a hundred proof, we got good extraction for five days and then we proof it down to 80 and put it in the still. Mm-hmm. And uh, that made like the gin that came out on the other side significantly like smoother and retained a really nice mouthfeel. So shout out Ari, because I think that definitely made the final product much more awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All those, man, it's, it's, uh, Botanical spirits are a beast unto themselves. And I think as much credit as we can give people who distill whiskeys and, you know, play cut points like maestros in order to eight years down the road, get the perfect extraction from the wood and oxidation from all the, all the things that they choose to leave in the cuts. Uh, I mean, creating a botanical bill and like all those different choices about maceration, like you were saying, it's, it's it's so complex and it makes the end product when you do really taste a remarkable gin or, you know, in our case, a cocktail made with, with that gin, uh, makes it all the more special. Um, so I totally agree there, but I think right now I'll, uh, throw us to, a little mid-roll announcement. And when we come back, we're going to taste the host martini. Cool. Hey, everybody. Just a quick announcement to let you know that our promotion for Jordan Hughes' cocktail camera course looks like it may be coming to an end in sort of the short to midterm future. He released an Instagram reel about a week ago at the release of this episode saying that his informal scholarship for bartenders and cocktail enthusiasts has seen excellent results and engagement and that he was going to cap it at something like 2,000 users. If you'd still like to get in on this e-course action completely free, just email me at podcast at modernbarcart.com and I'll send you an invite to our community Discord server where there's a code that will allow you to access the course completely for free. 
assuming that there's still spots left. So if you've been on the fence about this, don't delay. Now back to the show. All right, we are back and it's time to do a little unboxing video. So Robbie, uh, why don't you walk me through, um, uh, I guess the unboxing process and we'll, we'll kind of show it for the viewers on YouTube as we go here. Yep. Um, cool. First thing I will point out the box itself, we wanted to make truly sensational cocktails since the atomizer. And this is kind of my favorite thing about the pack. The box is embossed, debossed with the paint strokes. So mm -hmm. just, yeah, it's very texturally, um, texturally rich. Like you were, you were talking earlier about those multiple touch points that create an overall experience. And I think this is precisely that. I mean, it's, it's rich. It's almost like touching like a, a grained leather menu, for example. Yep. Um, cool. So that's your atomizer zest. Um, yep. took some kind of cues from the, the perfume industry here. Oh, wow. Yeah, you open it up just like that and you can pull it out. Yep. Um, Fantastic. And so this is our Yuzu Zest. You can get into the bottle itself. Ooh, there she look is. at that. That's pretty. I love the, uh, I love the, the slightly um, kind of like deconstructed front label. Yeah, the the striped label. We worked with a design group out of Austin, Texas called Foda, and they did a really knockout job on the packaging, design, and art direction. All right, uh, so all right, so we got a little neckband on here. Yep. Take that off. I do recommend, you know, I don't there's no real separation in the host, but I do think I do like to maybe turn it upside down once or twice just to just for good measure yeah and so mine was in the freezer actually i put it in the freezer and why don't you share with the listeners what you shared with me because i think that's a great point and like you know i do appreciate that you actually go and get feedback from folks like you were talking with all these folks about the gold-fashioned what is some of the feedback that you got about freezing this specifically um a couple of things like so one, freezers are unpredictable. My freezer was made in probably 1990 and bottles come out there pretty well. Uh, I've got friends who freezers, I don't know what they're set to, but they will freeze anything. If you're going to be like mindful throughout the process, yes, you're welcome to freeze it, welcome to chill it. Um, you got the chilled glass, which is a nice touch. Mm -hmm. I think for most folks, it's just, for the most consistently enjoyable martini experience, I like to keep it chilled in the fridge and serve it over ice. Easier on the actual hosting side. And I found that a martini, most cocktails in general, as they get warmer, i.e. if you pull it out of the freezer and serve it up, they tend to get a little harder to drink, uh, sure. you know, by, by degree. And, if your martini sits on ice, it only gets more refreshing as time goes on. So yeah. that's that's how I've been enjoying it, and I think that's I think that's kind of the move. I think you know you've got yours frozen, or yeah. you know out of the freezer. I do, yeah, certainly it's going to be great. 
Okay. All right. And a nice, nice little glass topper here with the, um, with the gasket. I like that. A couple ounces. Boom. Excellent. And then mm. get my zest here. Um, if it's your first, if it's your zest first rodeo, I do recommend you're probably gonna want to prime it. Yep. So let's take a couple. Which sure, and and I mean taking taking some cues from perfume, right? Right. We can. There you go. Kinda, right. There you go. And then, yep. I love that. There we go. Just. Oh come on, that is so sexy. Um, all right, so let's take first sip here. Cheers. Mm. Cheers to you. Wow. Wow. That vermouth is really, really beautiful. Um, what region uh, did you source the vermouth from? Finger Lakes. Mm-hmm. I might Cayuga, Cayuga Whites are the mm. grapes, and they were developed by Cornell um, specifically for making making wine in vermouth so i mean i totally get why you'd want this on the rocks because this is like we, we were speaking earlier about the notion of serving a martini in a really controlled setting and if you can do this a la minute at a bar with a chilled glass like the one that i have um potentially either pre-batched out of a bottle or made right there like literally right in front of you uh, then this is the exact kind of martini you want. Like there's there's a viscosity to it in the glass that is so palpable and that you get with those really freshly made martinis. Uh, I think it's a viscosity that goes particularly well with some some of like the fresh seafood and pickled accompaniments that we imagine, you know, as as like food items to be eaten with uh, alongside martinis. And, you know, a, a couple of things I want to compliment you on are the the extent to which some of the notes that you described earlier come through the sakura the cherry blossom comes through and it's a notoriously difficult and delicate ingredient to work with um and obviously the yuzu you get a i mean the essential oil with that is is lovely and exactly what you want but to me, I keep coming back to the Sakura and the orange blossom. Those two floral notes really come through here. And I think those are hallmarks that are incredibly difficult to achieve. Um, yep. And, and great point. So when we started to scale it up, you know, we did notice, you know, that those could be accentuated more. And so we, that's what we used, put in the gin basket. So mm -hmm. everything, they all got macerated um, in the, in the alcohol and then distilled, but the Sakura, the orange blossom and the Yuzu in particular, we jammed the gym basket full of that. Just so you get um, a little more of those like more delicate floral aromatics. Right. And because, you know, depending on the setup of your still, the, the vapor is leaving the pot at a certain temperature, entering the gin basket at another temperature and leaving the gin basket at yet another temperature. And so what you're getting is you're getting a different type of extraction there. So I think, I think describing that three dimensionality of the, of the distilling process is important to understanding some of the end product here. And also, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but the, uh, the little peppercorns, you almost get like a husky kind of 
coriander-esque note from that. So obviously coriander being like one of the primary, you know, the chief three gin botanicals that you'll find. Um, yep. Um, yeah. So the, the gin recipe itself, you know, there's juniper, there's angelica, and then um, obviously the, the Japanese botanicals, but that's a good point. And in, in my mind, the red Sancho and um, coriander kind of sit in the same space. So that we thought of as a substitute, like let's, let's pull out the coriander and use the Sancho in, in lieu. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Um, and I have to apologize that somebody decided that they were going to run a lawnmower right next to my <laughs> recording studio right now. It's a, uh, but Hey, maybe fresh cut grass, the fall leaves, it'll kind of waft in as a little yeah. botanical accompaniment to this, but, um, it's actually aging really well in the glass. I say aging, like it's, you know, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's actually, um, without ice, it's doing rather nicely. And the viscosity, I, I think I can see an argument for both. I love the viscosity of this mm -hmm. drink. So for me, if I can, if I can, um, rely on the, uh, the quality of my freezer, I want this up in a chilled glass, but I could also see, you know, going back to that, the, the notion that you were talking about earlier, and maybe this is a perfect jumping off point to talk about host. Maybe if you're pouring this for a bunch of guests, on the rocks is the ticket because it takes the guesswork out. Mm -hmm. Like it's quick. Everybody gets their drink at roughly the same time. And you don't need to worry about any sort of degradation that leads to the only bad part about a martini, which is that last sip. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. And I guess like, yeah, host, um, H O S T E comes from the Catalan means like an unpaying guest that's staying overnight. And, um, you know, Part of the rebrand was, you know, we were, really wanted to focus on the use occasion and how folks were the actually enjoying the cocktails that we make and, you know, have used um, the host guest experience as the North Star for all the decisions that we've made. Um, and so at the end of the day, we really are genuinely want to help facilitate folks you know, kind of connecting with quality, um, you know, with their guests. And, um, you know, I think that also kind of speaks to the, the nature of the ingredients and the product itself. So I do think, you know, parties are unpredictable and guests are unpredictable. And, you know, we don't want anyone to have to think about the cocktails after, you know, other than just enjoying them and, and pouring them and serving them. Um, we're really trying to take as much of the the load off of the host as as possible. Right. So I need to I need to press on this etymology because it's actually come up in other episodes that I've done. I've gone to this exact etymology page and uh, specifically when when talking about the uh, I did a couple audio essays on the tip minimum wage here in DC, which involves words like hospitality, patron, you know, stuff like that. And so I was looking up this word and why did, so this, this word 
host, uh, which comes from, you know, it's got, it's got these uh, references to strangers, right? Guests and hosts. And, and to me, one of the interesting things about this etymology, which I can link to in the show notes is that it refers to a relationship, right? It's not just like, you can't have this notion of hosting without two people, without two different parties, without there being some sort of power dynamic between those parties, right? It's not on an equal footing because one person is, you know, the master of the house and the other person is the guest. Um, so there's that relationship that needs to be negotiated. Uh, and then also like you mentioned, like, uh, hospitality hospitals, right? Like, um, mm. uh, hostels, uh, these are all, these are all coming from the same root word. And in fact, if you've ever heard of like, you know, military engagements where, you know, somebody encounters an enemy host, like that also comes from this, right? So a large group that would have had to be kind of sustained by a, a Lord or something who was feeding them and, 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 you know, watering their horses and stuff like that. So what do you think of all that nonsense that I just spat out to you? Because to me, it seems to get at the heart of what hospitality means. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I've honestly never, I've looked up the word, like I understand all the kind of references, but this is the first time I've ever actually thought about kind of like you said, you need a, a host without a guest doesn't exist. Uh, and so that's, that's really like a fascinating way to think about it. What is interesting about that to me is um, this idea that uh, about connection, like if you have a guest and you have a host, you know, they are going to interact and connect in some way. And it is kind of the hosts, uh, the H-O-S-T-S, apostrophe, uh, obligation to like treat that guest with hospitality. And yeah, that's, I don't know, that's a kind of a trippy way to think about it. I, yeah. I like that. Well, and so there's, to me, every once in a while, I run into something that seems to operate like a motor where you've got two electromagnets that are constantly pushing each other and reversing polarities such that it creates spin, drive, and momentum. And so what we have here, you know, almost like an Ouroboros, you know, the snake consuming itself going around and around. What we have here is... Like it's that power dynamic. The power dynamic is the is the axle upon which this constantly revolving relationship between host and guest spins. And when you were speaking earlier about you know people being afraid of vermouth or afraid of you know trying something new, I think that the best hospitality experiences. And the, the most hospitable transactions are ones in which the guest is not afraid. And that takes a lot of work from the host. Um, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. do, 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 like can, can you think of cocktail contexts where that's been true for you? Yeah. I mean, so kind of two things. Like, just like the bar experience you know, kind of starts at the front door. If you're going to someone's home, it also kind of starts at the front door. Someone opens the door. Are you greeted? Do they take your coat? Um, is there, you know, is there a candle lit? Is there music playing? Is it the right music? 
Um, and so I do think there's like, there's an art to hosting well. And, you know, and similarly, there's, there's, there's probably an art to being a good guest and cocktails. I think, you know, in a social setting, do a couple of things. One, they kind of help like for lack of a better word, they help lubricate folks. Um, they get folks, you know, kind of loose. You got something in your hand. You're able to taste something. You're able to like enjoy something. And then you're able to kind of like walk around the room and talk to folks. Um, what I think is interesting about the host cocktails in a cocktail setting is it allows folks to have a shared cocktail experience, which, you know, in the past, say in 2019, if you and I went to a bar together and you got a cool cocktail, you might say, hey, man, do you want to try my drink? And then post COVID, I, you know, I still hesitate to drink out of other folks' glasses, not because I'm necessarily scared of getting COVID, but now I'm like, okay, well, like, I don't know, maybe you got kids, I don't, you know, who, yeah, it's I risk, just, it's risk. Yeah. And, and, and you're afraid, right? So here's like, here's another one of these situations where suddenly, uh Oh, I'm afraid of something. Yeah. I don't want a sore throat tomorrow, but yeah. it allows us to have a shared, uh, taste experience, um, which is, which is kind of cool. So now you can like have the drink, you can talk about it. You got your own, um, so I think cocktails are like interesting in that way. And the, the larger format is particularly interesting um, in that it allows people to, to kind of have a similar, uh, have a conversation about something that they're both experiencing, but maybe experiencing differently. Yeah, I love that. I also love the leaf blower to that now that's, that's going right next to my head. Um, <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, I mean, as as host, I, I mean, first of all, I mean, I love the brand for a super nerdy reason, but I think also what you're doing is you're addressing uh, a great need, and you know, a, a lot of times when I when I encounter products, I just got one the other day in the email where it's like, you know, uh, products designed to make cocktails easier but they're not handling details. They're just like it, it, you know, in the infomercials where somebody's like doing a process that any normal human being would be able to do like peeling something or pouring something and they just mess up and they, you know, the screen turns black and white and they just, it's the slapstick moment of mm -hmm. not being able to do something very easy and like a normal person would do. Um, it's, it's like that. It's like, it's like, Oh, who wants to deal with all these bottles and all this? Like, well, you're describing the joy of, of, cocktails and mixology right so like uh and and so we we solved this by putting it all in this one machine it's like okay great i think you just ruined that and so i, I get a lot of pitches with people claiming to be handling quote the details mm -hmm. but i think what people will garner from the first part of our conversation was that you actually did handle the details and you handled the details in a really thoughtful and detail oriented manner, not by just glossing over them and smoothing them out and making things bland, but by, you know, going through each step of that process with almost a host mentality, like the, the mentality of a bartender who wants to create one single excellent drink for a patron at their bar. And so when I say like, what I like about this cocktail is that it does actually 
like take care of that for somebody who's hosting a get together. I say it because I appreciate that it takes care of it without making sacrifices in the process. And I think that to me is the differentiation. And I love the, how that is embodied by the brand. I think it's a really tight connection there that, that actually does resonate with me as a consumer. Yeah. And I, I think like the, the taking care of those details, you know, the end goal is for us and for me personally, it was just to create a, an ex- experience for people. And, you know, yes, folks can make cocktails um, and some folks can make great cocktails, but the host is as much about the experience of enjoying the cocktail with folks as it is the actual cocktail. Um, if that makes sense. Like it, it's, it's about all the things that happen around the drink and we are trying to help facilitate those happen in, in a way that is um, ultimately enjoy as enjoyable as possible for folks. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, you set the stage for us early on in the conversation. Think about all of those details that you get to soak in at a cocktail bar and it's always great to host a party at your home. But as soon as you have that responsibility, enjoying those details is just out the window. And yeah. so it seems like this opens that door back up, right? And and so I think I think uh yeah, there's to me I'm I having tasted this drink and having tasted the gold fashioned I'm going to go th- I'm going to go away and think a little bit more about what it means to hosts at home because that's something I just I have a small space. I haven't really been doing it. There's constantly leaf blowers like who wants <laughs> that? Um but you know this is it's got, sort of gotten me excited to think about like the the fine art of hosting at home. So that's definitely going to be one of my takeaways for this conversation. But as we wrap up here, uh, I want to open up the floor to you and uh, just make sure there's not something that we're grossly overlooking here, and maybe ask if there's if there's stuff coming down the road that you're excited to uh, to share. Yep. So um, again, thinking you know, looking through the lens of kind of hosting and hospitality. We want to extend the product line. Um, you know, we'd like to have understanding that certain people have varying tastes. We got a few things in the hopper. We have a perfect Manhattan that we're working on for the spring. Is that perfect in the cocktail sense? Yes. Yep. So it'll be, you know, sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, um, still dialing in the whiskey for this one and uh gonna get into some lower abv lower alk products in late summer fall and um possibly a mezcal negroni um just just so that like you know if for folks that are having events you know you can have an array of of options to choose from and you know, that you can feel good about pouring, you can feel good about gifting and yeah. each one will hopefully tell, um, you know, will be rooted in a classic cocktail, but have a unique perspective driven by the co- various collaborators. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like that you're bringing in um, you're bringing in folks uh, who have specific points of view on this. I think it adds surface area to the brand, and I think uh, I think that's important. It's a it's a great way to to help people fall in love with what's in the glass, especially as it evolves and with how complex it is. And I do want to note that we're 20 minutes into this pour and still great viscosity and it's just starting to hit that point where now it's a little bit more vermouthy to me i think the vermouth comes out more as it warms up and i've got about two minutes left in this before it's too warm to truly enjoy um that's a pretty long life for something that comes out of the freezer and goes into a chilled glass it's, that's that's more than enough time for somebody who's not engaged in a podcast to to finish and enjoy <laughs> yeah. a, a good martini so uh win nice thank you yeah so uh we'll link to everything on the show notes here but do you have uh, time for a, a few quick uh lightning questions before we take off yeah let's do it love this right. part yeah this is uh i had fun with these because this is martini themed so uh i take it that you and and probably most of our listeners will be familiar with the um kill marry copulate uh format where you've got three options you get to choose one that you kill one that you marry and one that you uh you get a little passionate with but it's uh it's a short-term fling so i've got a few of these set up for you here and martini theme. So number one, KM, uh, KM copulate, uh, gin martini, vodka martini, dirty martini. And I know that the dirty martini definition gets a little blurry, so it can be in your mind, either a dirty martini with vodka or a dirty martini with gin. Yep. Um, you know, Mary would certainly be the gin martini. Um, one night stand quick fling dirty martini for sure. I got mm -hmm. no problems with the dirty martini. Um, happen to like them, have enjoyed quite a few vodka martini, not doing it for me. Okay, good. Next, next, uh, triumvirate here. We've got, uh, this is ratios. So we'll go dry martini, which I would say would be like a start with like, um, five, six to eight to one, kind of like that quarter ounce vermouth mm -hmm. kind of territory. Um, a 50, 50 martini which is one-to-one, -one, uh, and an upside-down martini, which is two parts vermouth to one part gin, KMF. Yep. Um, the two-to-one, I like a two-to-one martini. Mm -hmm. Wait, sorry, no, 50-50. 50-50, okay. Yeah, 50-50, yeah. I'll rock the 50-50. I would marry the 50-50. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one-night stand would probably be like the or, uh, the the reverse or the inverted the upside down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like, I like vermouth, especially with a nice vermouth. I like it. And then dry again, getting rid of that dry. Not for me. I like gin, okay. but you know, if I'm going to go through all that trouble, that's good. Anybody, anybody who designs and launches a martini, I think should have a healthy appreciation for vermouth. Otherwise, otherwise, like what are, what are we here talking about? So that, that, that's, that makes sense to me. Now we're talking about var martini riffs. So we've got the Vesper, we've got a Gibson, which is again, more in that savory camp. And then we've got a Martinez, which we're rocking some sweet vermouth and other sweetness in there. Mm. You know, I feel similarly about the Gibson as I do about the dirty. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that, for me, that's like a, you know, feeling kind of wild. We'll mm -hmm. try it out tonight. Um, the Martinez, 
really like the Martinez actually. I think Martinez is underrated. And when it's done just right, awesome, awesome cocktail. I would marry a well-made Martinez. Okay. Uh, Vesper, eh, I, I, I would probably pass on that one. Oh. Cool, cool drink. Interesting. Yeah, I, I get it. It's nice, kind of refreshing. Now, do you, do you, yeah. when you think of Vesper, do you think shaken or do you think stirred? Because I've heard that that is contentious. When I think Vesper, I think about uh, having people just order them from me and being very opinionated about it. <laughs> and maybe that's what it just kind of takes me back to being in service and like, all right, here comes a ticket. Oh, they got a Vesper, but they want it like this. And I got to like shake it with one hand, you know, just, oh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Fair, fair. Fair. And I probably, I probably, uh, don't, don't do my Vespers in the way that, that many people do. I, I usually sub in lavender bitters there to kind of go with the, um, with the, the, uh, lay a little bit, kind of like that white flower lavender kind of thing going on. So again, I'm a non-traditional there, but I, I, I do love me a Vesper. Uh, uh and then yeah, go. just slight tangent. The, I, I am interested in these, um, kind of martini riffs where people are turning them into like spritzes or 75s martinis mm, with mm-hmm. tonic i haven't played around but i do find that interesting and like i feel like a, a vesper with soda water i don't know yeah I, I think it's like an interesting way to go with the martini at some point yeah definitely well i think we're i think we're rapidly getting there with how popular it is these days um and so the last martini kmf i have for you here is um is is olive related uh so we've got we've, we've got different olives as garnishes uh in the dirties and the vodkas i'm curious are you a pimento olive guy a blue cheese olive guy castle vetrano olive man all right so the first bar i were i, were, I bar back to a, a club in chicago just before violet mm-hmm. hour opened and they right. had olives and they were just like out of the jar just whatever yeah. and you know i I would eat them all night and I got really sick of them. Um, so not into like this, the OG regular olive with the red pimento in it. Blue cheese. Yeah, man. Sign me up. Um, low key. My favorite olive, which I have is a pimento cheese stuffed olive. Oh, uh, that's very so, Midwest. Yeah. Those are great, man. That's like a little meal in and of itself. Uh, so blue cheese, olive, I would probably copulate and marry, uh, <laughs> you know, I would keep that one. And then, uh, yeah, regular one kind of pass on. And what was the other one? Like Castle Vetrano. It's like the, the, the green, the really green guys there uh, to me, that was the olive that made me understand why one might use an olive as a garnish. Cause it's briny yeah. and it's rich. Um, they're, they like tend those. to be, they tend, yeah, they tend to be bigger and like darker green than the, the traditional ones. So yeah, yeah, those uh, are nice. I, yeah, those are nice. I like but them. I like that blue cheese. Yeah, I love it. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, what is a martini? This this maybe is getting to what we were just talking about. What's a martini format, ingredient, garnish, service method? Anything in the martini space that you wish more professional and home bartenders would get on board with? Yeah, uh, comes in a bottle. Uh, it's got yuzu zest. Yeah, this is what people need to get into. Uh, I think the martini on the rocks. I'm like, yes. in, in the last couple months, I've, you know, 
just in, drinking more martinis now than I ever have. I like the martini on the rocks is really doing it for me. Even now, like 20 minutes in, this is like amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, martini on the rocks. I think people got to get on board with that. I think I think the best way to get on board with the martini on the rocks is to order it at a bar and like at a bar that you like and that you respect where you normally get their cocktails that are like their their signature cocktails that are listed on a menu. And so you go in, the bartender comes up, you you there's a little recognition and they ask what you'd like and the move is to say you know, I think I'd like a two to one or a four to one or a whatever to one. If you trust them to make you a regular martini with the ratio, I want a, this kind of martinis on, on a single large rock lemon twist and just watch, watch how they react to that. And like, that's to me, I did that at one, one place and they were like, okay, let's go. And just seeing their like excitement to make that drink for me was like, it's like, yes, I feel seen. This is now valid for me. This is on the table. Let's do this. Yep. They know. They know that jams. Yeah. 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 Uh, so last question in the lightning round here. Um, any advice for either somebody who runs a professional bar program or somebody who um, is a home bartender who gets excited by the host martini when they, when they sample it and says, huh, I like this gonna gonna keep this in my back pocket but i want to try playing around with with my own kind of freezer martini um any advice for for creating those as like a signature serve at a bar or a home yep um i would say you know a i would taste the gin i, I would I, I would play with the gin and vermouth pairing because gin there is a you know rainbow spectrum of gin profiles out there and similarly, there's all sorts of vermouths that range a, a wide spectrum. Um, so I would encourage people to, to freak how they feel and, you know, kind of with, with everything, like just taste it and, you know, be honest with yourself. How does, how does this sit with you? And I think the more folks can kind of develop that, um, I guess I would call it intuition, but like that, you know, they can take all the filters out, everything they've learned and just be able to taste something in a vacuum and say, oh, I, I like this or I appreciate this about it. Um, I think once you can taste things in that way, it really opens up a lot of possibilities to what you can do. Right. And I think it can even be a collaborative process. I mean, Robbie, you've got a team, but a lot of people have partners or friends or spouses and you can say, hey, take these three gins, pour them in these three glasses take notes, but don't tell me which is which. And I'm going to taste them, you know, when you call me back out. And so, you know, th that way you can kind of blind your way into it, see what you like. Um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of the things that we talked about in this conversation about ratios of vermouth, right? Like that's, that's a signature boom, um, types of bitters, boom, there's another signature twist that you can add. So, Adding like the, to me, and I, I love that this is where we're kind of rounding out this conversation is that when you look at a, at a cocktail that has so few ingredients, the real opportunity to add surface area and uniqueness to that is in the tiny minute details. So don't be afraid to get in there and enjoy the process 
of getting lost in those details and using them to build the story flavor wise of what you want to be your signature martini. I, that that's how I would do it. Yep. And I think it's a good point about bringing your partner or friend, like, you know, drinking a whole freezer martini by yourself. Again, <laughs> sure. Go for it. But much more enjoyable if you got someone on board, uh, on board and willing to take that ride with you. Well, I've got a toddler and I want to see what she thinks of this when she gets <laughs> back today. So, uh, I won't be doing it alone, but, uh, Robbie, thank you as always, man. Uh, just a, a true pleasure to chat with you. Um, I, I knew having not even tasted it, that this was, uh, going to be an excellent experience. And it certainly delivered on that front. Share with our listeners where they can grab this, uh, mm. maybe even a price point too, because, uh, we haven't, uh, we haven't, we haven't mentioned that yet. Yep. So, um, hostcocktails.com, H-O-S-T-E-C-O-C-K-T-A-I-L-S, hostcocktails.com. We ship to 46 states. It'll go directly to your door. Whoa. Um, the gold fashion this year, $150. The martini, 65 bucks. about 10 cocktails per bottle. That sounds like you're saving money. Feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have links, like I said, on the show notes um, to everything. And Robbie, I've got just a tiny, tiny, tiny little sip here. I think I'm going to top it up so that it's appropriately cold so that I'm not giving you the worst as a cheers. But I want to thank you for a beautiful cocktail and for being a guest here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Cheers, my friend. Pleasure chatting with you, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, gin and martini insights courtesy of Robbie Haynes, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a production of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, copyright 2023.